today on the Scott Thompson Show on AM 900 CHML. We've talked uh, lots, of course, over the uh, over way too long uh, about the life and times of Dellen Millard and the people that uh, he took along the way in his bizarre journey uh, through life. Of course, with uh, the killing of Tim Bosma, uh, Laura Babcock, and now he is standing trial for the death of his father, Wayne Millard. Originally, this thought to be a suicide, but since the Bosma and Babcock cases. Uh, obviously, police have re-examined this, and uh, now he is standing trial for, in fact, the killing of his father, Wayne Millard. To get an update on all of this, it's interesting how this this case hasn't drawn the attention that the first two uh, have. Let's bring in Ari Goldkind, Toronto defense lawyer, and he is with us now. Thanks, Ari, for taking the time. We appreciate this. Pleasure to be on with you, Scott. Uh, uh, let's start with uh, h- how come, why do you think this case hasn't drawn the attention that the other two have? Uh, I think, first of all, the first one drew drew more attention than the second, and it's interesting because I've covered all three. The first one, uh, coverage, media coverage, every minute of every day in the trial in Hamilton, which is interesting because that's not even the uh, Toronto area, no bias to anywhere else. The second one got some coverage at different points of the trial, highlights, and then obviously the verdict. And the third one has had coverage on the first day, and then it's dwindled just to set that up. I think there's two things in play there. One, most reasonable people have a view of the case of the third one, and every time I talk about it, a lot of heads nod, which is this isn't really just a case about Dell and Millard and the fact that, you know, I believe he killed his father, you might believe he killed his father. The real story here is how the police butchered, and I use that term absolutely purposefully, the investigation into Wayne Millard's death. In my respectful view, it did not receive the attention, the care, that uh, a scene like that, a homicide scene, a suicide scene should lead to. And I can tell you, Scott, before I get to the second reason it hasn't drawn the attention, is that a lot of people have come into the courtroom in the last three weeks and essentially talked about just how cavalier, for lack of a better term, and bungled that scene was. The second, much quicker answer to the question is, we live in a society that has the attention span of a two-year-old child. And if it doesn't involve a Kardashian... People get fatigued, and at some point, people are tired about hearing about Millard or anything that isn't a new pop-up on their phone. Is it this trial that is revealing how shoddy this initial investigation was? It is, but I'll tell you something. You know, you and I might have talked about this a couple months ago, which is, let's forget the trial even started. What does it say to your listeners throughout Ontario? Let's let's work this through for a second, because to me, it's the part that fascinates way more than the Dell and Millard angle about it. You have police coming into a scene where a man has been shot through the eye. Now, you know, and I know, that nobody commits suicide that way. When I say nobody, by the way, I mean actually nobody. It's not some hyperbole. They completely get this wrong. They act in a very lazy fashion in terms of investigating this back in 2012. And they all go about essentially, and I'm being somewhat facetious here, continue on about their evening and go back to their respective Netflix and dinners. That should concern people on its face when the Crown Attorney, after finding out Millard is a notorious, sickening serial killer, then goes back and takes a peek and says, oh, I'm sorry, The dog ate our homework two years ago. Maybe this guy murdered dad. And to me, if you're a person who isn't the the loved one of somebody who is a serial killer like uh, Dylan Millard or 
isn't a person of means. What does it say that somebody could get away with sort of a perfect crime? Hmm. I just think until this came to light, Scott, Wayne Millard was probably spinning in his grave like a centrifuge, assuming people do actually spin in their grave. Didn't we see the same thing, though, with the Babcock case? I mean, the same comments could have been made there. A hundred percent true. And that, that but, but see, this is the difference, Scott. That part doesn't bother me because, and now we'll flip this on its head. Dellen Millard was very skilled at what he did. And a lot of people don't accept that. The same as if Bruce MacArthur is guilty, the, the gay serial killer in Toronto. If he is guilty of it, he was very skilled to get away with it. My problem, Scott, is when the police, the pathologist, the autopsy, the coroner's reports are also stupidly, stupidly wrong. That concerns me not only as a taxpayer, because I pay quite a few bucks in taxes. It concerns me that people didn't put the maximum effort in here to an actual murder scene. Again, I emphasize this, Scott, where somebody is shot at extraordinarily close range. Imagine if Mr. Millard was killed by his son. The fear and horror going through his mind as the tip of that revolver blew his eye out. I mean, I just, that's the part that bothers me. Was uh, was Dallin Millard skilled in the death of his father then? Because it appears now, after further investigation, that this was full of holes. It wasn't so much how clever Dallin Millard was, but how uh, ineffective the investigation was. And that continues, because you want to hear the development that just happened this morning? Because this is unbelievable, and I think a lot of your listeners may not know this yet, because hopefully they're not looking at their phones while working or driving. And it is this. Dellen Millard might walk on this one. Now, he's not going to walk from jail, but there has been such a massive screw-up on the Crown Attorney's part this morning that Judge Forrestal, an experienced, respected, and by the way, down-the-middle judge, has essentially excluded one of the biggest components of the Crown's case. Why? Because the police expert who reconstructed the scene and tried to do that stuff we all watch on HBO Mm -hmm. or Netflix to go back, She found him to be biased. She found him to be careless with his notes and in his investigation. And so now the one one witness that the Crown had to say, it's BS and horse manure that Wayne Millard held the gun, shot himself in the eye. That evidence has now all been excluded. The Crown's case is over. The defense did not call witnesses. And it would not shock me at all. Again, he's not getting out of jail. Let's be honest about this. But it would not shock me that he gets an acquittal on this. And going back to my spinning in the grave comment, I now think Wayne Millard is speeding up in that centrifuge. Uh, I was just about to ask you about the bias and the exclusion here. Why is this uh, witness biased? Yes, and the answer is, okay, so let's go through a couple components. Here's the really interesting one. And again, if you're a TV watcher like me, this will ring true to you. One of the biggest things that the criminal law is very careful about, sometimes rightly and sometimes I actually even disagree with it, you don't want to convict somebody of their 10th murder because they've not done nine before. If on the 10th murder, the strongest evidence is not that there's a videotape of them murdering, but it is their track record or history of the nine previous murders. Now, I set that up so people get the atmosphere, but here's what came out in court. Once this police expert came into the case, it's 2014. He knows that Millard is thought to now be the killer of Bosma and Babcock. And what he essentially did is he, again, and this goes right back into our first couple of minutes, 
didn't do the job in the crime scene, didn't take note of blood in certain spots, came to conclusions. And the defense lawyer, I say, by the way, did a very good job. He came to conclusions that didn't involve taking into account what are called exculpatory or innocent explanations. And when you're a police officer and you're supposed to be giving unbiased, sort of unfiltered opinions, the second a defense lawyer like me or any of the great lawyers in Ontario can show, well, wait a minute, you didn't exclude in your opinion, you didn't include in your opinion, these following three, four factors. And the judge pointed out to the big one, which was blood in the room, and it ties into gunshot residue. I won't bore you with the details, but the judge completely kicked his evidence today, but for a couple peripheral points that are of no moment. So what is left then? What does that mean moving forward? You, you said you wouldn't be surprised if he walks on this one. Oh, I would not be surprised at all, and here's why. And again, going right back to the euphemism of TV, everybody knows the phrase, when there's smoke, there's fire. In a courtroom, that's not enough. And I can tell you, even with what's left in the case, there's a lot of smoke, Scott. There's a botched alibi. There's a witness that says he slips out in the middle of the night at the time to go do this. The cell phone records track him going to his dad. He sends bizarre texts. And the most important one is his DNA is on the, mur- is on the weapon, the gun that's left next to dad's body. However, a judge really has to be very careful here, even though it's Dellen Millard. To, if you took out the fact that this is Dellen Millard and you were left with just this is Joe Blow, this right. is Scott Thompson, Ari mm-hmm. Goldkind, Listener 101, a judge would be very, very careful that you cannot necessarily connect the dots without a witness to come and say this actually couldn't have been a suicide, it must have been a homicide. So for those reasons, I could very easily see an acquittal. So there isn't enough evidence with uh, without uh, there isn't enough evidence without this testimony of this biased apparently biased uh, expert to convict him well there may be I mean she's a judge and in all fairness I'm not and she's an experienced judge but what is going to be extraordinarily important here and again I flag this Scott he's not getting out of jail yeah, yeah. But what's going to be extraordinarily important here to the judge is she's got to strenuous and by the way this is why it went judge alone it's not with a jury and remember First-degree murders are always with a jury. This is a rare outlier. She's got to disabuse her mind of the fact that she knows that the man sitting in front of her, you want to finish this sentence because you can finish it just as good as I can, just as well as I can. Obviously, she can't hold hold his past in in any regard for a decision. And and if you don't have that, does the case still stand on its own two feet? And that's where the factors that I've just mentioned, there's a few others, but I'm just shortening it for time. That's where those circumstantial factors certainly suggest something very hinky. But I think, Scott, that, and it won't be talked about, my voice will carry no weight. We have inquiries in this province into all sorts of stupid things that are politically correct and have no business taking up $3 million of taxpayer money. This, to me, this decision to go from a suicide when you dig into the weeds as I have about what happened in this investigation, leaving him to be a suicide victim, and then this change to a homicide, that's probably more pertinent to the citizens of this province than anything that happens to that killer. So this is less about whether Millard is guilty or innocent and more about the investigation that was or wasn't done. I think so, Scott. And if you give me 30 seconds, I think a lot of your listeners will remember the murder of Barry and Honey Sherman in Toronto. That's the Apotex billionaire. 
And for weeks and weeks and weeks, the police come out and say, Barry killed Honey. Now, imagine if Barry didn't kill Honey, the spinning in the graves going on. But because they're billionaires, they go out and hire their own team, their own ex-cops, their own pathologist, their own autopsy. And that position, that ability to pay for all of this actually makes the Toronto Police Service say, you know what? Upon reflection, Barry didn't kill anybody. Both of these two people were killed by an outside person. That isn't the way, in my view, Scott, policing should work, that it depends on resources or who you draw that night that comes to your house. Hmm. Everybody in this province, Scott, deserves 102% of people's ability, not 89.8%. Uh, on the Sherman case, what does your gut tell you? Where's that going? Absolutely nowhere. In my view, that person has absolutely gotten away with a perfect murder. I think that's a Gwyneth Paltrow movie, maybe. But in any event, I really do think they've gotten away with it. I think they're probably long gone, even if a DNA hit. This, to me, was an unbelievably meticulously planned, straight out of Crime 101, how to get away with murder uh, thing. And the longer, as you know, Scott, and I think a lot of people know, the longer that a case goes, the less likely it is to find somebody, which is why the term cold case is a well-known cliche. Uh, will this investigation come to a close, do you think, or will it be I, open forever? I don't think so. I think it will be open forever. I think to the police's credit, I think they know that there is a lot of egg on their face here. They have some egg on their face for MacArthur. So given that we have a $1.2, $1.3 billion budget, it wouldn't surprise me if at least every year a few hundred grand of that money goes to finding the killing of two people. By the way, Scott, just so people have the context that were very, very important people in this province, philanthropically. You know, these were not two gangbangers that were killed in their house. Mm -hmm. And in my view, and that is a different thing, these people do not deserve to have the police let this go cold. That being said, Scott, as we know even in MacArthur, the gay serial killer case, sometimes crimes happen and we just don't get the person. Uh, do you think in this case, the Sherman case, that investigators know, but they can't prove, or do you think they have no idea? I would say the latter. I think they have no idea, because if you even have a reasonable uh, suspicion, a reasonable prospect, you are going to do everything you can to at least lay the handcuffs on somebody or put out even an Interpol warrant. That is not happening. I'd like to be wrong, Scott. Don't get me wrong. If any, I would yeah. like to be wrong, but in my view, this case has gone cold. So, uh, getting back to Millard, the Millard case, what's yep. next? What happens with this case moving forward? So, this has gone over for the Crown to, to, the, uh, to Monday. The Crown, because Millard didn't, I emphasize this, didn't choose to testify. And I, and I think the irony is rich here, because remember, Scott, in Babcock, he played his own lawyer. Yeah. Asking these insulting, disgusting questions to Ms. Babcock's father, suggesting that Ms. Babcock's off in Cancun at Club Med, which I was surprised the father didn't come over the thing and kill him. Mm. That being said, isn't it interesting that in all three trials, when it's his turn to testify, he declined? Now, that's his right. No accused has to testify, but the irony of that is rich. Because he doesn't testify, the Crown goes first in their closing, then the defense will go Monday afternoon, maybe into Tuesday morning, then Judge Forstel will retire, and I don't mean retire the way Mm -hmm. most of us think it. She will take her time, and because it's a judge, Scott, and this is very interesting, too, a lot of people don't know this. When a jury makes a decision, they come back in the room and say guilty or not guilty, then everybody goes home 14 seconds later. 
Judge Forstell has to write a lengthy, and I emphasize this, Scott, lengthy written decision capable of court of appeal scrutiny if either side doesn't like the decision she comes up with. Hmm. Would he, would Millard have testified either way, whether the Crown's case was stronger or weaker? Would he have, would we have seen him testify either way in this? I have no inside baseball knowledge of that, but given the court breaks where the lawyer kept going back to the cells to ascertain instructions, because Scott, you should know, is that it's not up to the lawyer. I'm a criminal defense lawyer. I can't tell a client to plead. I can give them my advice. I can tell them they'd be an idiot or a fool to testify or not testify. But this was Millard's uh, chance. I have a feeling that him testifying was possible because I still think he likes the spotlight. Mm. But once that evidence was kicked from that reconstructionist expert, there was literally no reason for him to get in the box because he couldn't undo anything that was already there. Ari Goldkind is with us, Toronto defense lawyer, of course, giving us an update on the case involving Wayne Millard's death and his son, Dylan Millard, charged now in that murder. Ari, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Have a great weekend. You too. My pleasure. Want to hear more? Download the podcast on iTunes or Google Play and listen to The Scott Thompson Show weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.